Earth guy's probably fought hundreds of thousands of other super beings on the other planets he's destroyed, right? And we have to assume he's won. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Not us united. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio, powered by Poddex. I am your host, and this week we are talking about what I would consider to be the greatest cinematic curiosity of our generation. We're talking the director's cut of Justice League, uh, but known more commonly as the Snyder Cut. Does it exist? Of course it does, or at least it will on uh, HBO Max dropping in 2021. But as with most good stories, the journey is sometimes more interesting than the destination. Sean O'Connell is the managing director of Cinema Blend and the co-host of the Real Blend podcast. He's covered this turbulent Hollywood story from day one and has written the upcoming book, Release the Snyder Cut, the crazy true story behind the fight that saved Zack Snyder's Justice League. The book drops February 15th, 2021, hopefully to coincide with uh, the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max. Uh, that book is going to be available from Applause Books and is now available for pre-order out on Amazon. And he joins us right now to help unravel this superhero mystery. Uh, hey, Sean, welcome to Mike Seibert Radio. It's so good to be here, man. I really appreciate the invitation. And yes, uh, during DC Fandom yesterday, during Zack's panel, I was really hoping to hear a release date. Um, I understand he's still trying to work out his official title, but I would have loved to hear uh, a, a ballpark of when when it's when it's coming because we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, those were those were two of my top questions, even uh, preceding DC Fandom and preceding this interview. It's like, what's the title? When's it coming out? But um, uh, but we'll definitely unpack some of the DC Fandom stuff later because there there were a lot of really uh, interesting revelations, like in terms of how the presentation is going to be. We know now that it's four parts in one hour increments and that there will be some kind of united. Uh, I, I'm trying to make sure I got my nomenclature right. You know, <laughs> you know we're united. Uh, but no, that, there'll be like a, a edit uh, that combines all the parts that will be available and that that international uh, distribution is still being worked on. So si it still seems like there's a lot of kinks yet to work out. Mm. But what our takeaway is, we're recording this here on Sunday. This is the day after the DC Fandom event and uh, Zack Snyder's uh, reveal panel, uh, which I saw on Twitter was kind of trending as Zack Dome. <laughs> I saw that <laughs> happening a lot. But, uh, but basically, there, there's been a lot of revelations about Zack Snyder's version of, um, of Justice League. And I, I thought, obviously, we're going to talk about that a lot. But... 
what I want to get into, I guess, first and foremost, every story has a beginning. Mm-hmm. And every podcast is somebody's first podcast. So there might be folks that are coming across this show and have no idea what the heck a Snyder cut is and and why are we talking about D Snyder's hairdo and what's uh what's what is this about twisted sister what's going on there but I I guess what I thought we would do is just kind of lay a little bit of groundwork mm-hmm. um and just kind of in a nutshell uh perhaps um explain a little bit what the Snyder cut is and really kind of what what spawned this movement. That seems as good of a, a starting point as any. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really glad you're doing that because you're right. Um, even watching the trailer that dropped it during Fandom, it's really heavy on references that if you're just coming at it for, as a casual viewer, you might not even get 100% what's going on. Um, so Zack Snyder uh, started in the DC universe with Man of Steel. And he did... Um, a Superman origin story that was meant to also create a cinematic universe that was going to rival what Marvel was doing uh, over at Marvel Studios and Disney specifically. And they were going to build towards the formation of a Justice League. So they, with Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, which was the immediate follow-up to Man of Steel, Zack introduced um, Batman to the fray, obviously, uh, played by Ben Affleck. But then that movie also launched um, a Wonder Woman, played by Gal Gadot, and had brief cameos of Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg. And it was like setting the table really quickly. Whereas Marvel took its time and it gave Thor his own movie and Captain America got his own movie and they built toward the Avengers. Um, BVS really introduced a number of, of key DC characters that were supposed to come to fruition in Justice League in 2017. Now, here's where you start to get into what happened behind the scenes. But... Um, in 2016, Zach was filming his Justice League movie. It was going to be the third DC movie that he had, he had done. And BVS, when it came out, while it made a lot of money, it didn't make nearly as much money as the studio probably would have hoped of putting Batman and Superman together uh, on screen for the first time in any uh, live action format, having the two of them combined and also throwing in a Wonder Woman for the first time in a feature length film. Like this should have been off the charts successful. And at that time, Marvel was, was doing billion dollar movies left and right. Um, something like Iron Man 3 was, was earning a billion dollars. And right. so Warner Brothers in DC were looking at their property and saying, well, why aren't we raking in the bucks? And they kind of assumed that Zack's more mature, um, some say darker, uh, you know, a little more serious, a little more grounded uh, approach to these DC gods. And the DC comics are kind of like that. They're not as lighthearted as Marvel and they are a little more cosmic. And um, the Warner Brothers executives, in theory, um, panicked and wanted to, to change course. So there was also a tragedy in Zach's life uh, in 2017 where his uh, daughter, Autumn, died by suicide. And he tried to immerse himself in the work of completing Justice League and thought it would be a distraction. It turned out that it wasn't, and he needed to be with his family. So that happened. Um, And there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that Warner Brothers, while recognizing the need for Zack to sort of step away and and go back and be with his family, used that as their opportunity to sort of change gears on the entire DC franchise and, and go in a more lighter upbeat marvelly direction and to do that they hired joss whedon um, the guy who directed two avengers films prior to and asked him to fix it 
And he couldn't. He didn't do it. The theatrical cut of Justice League that came out in 2017 was a disaster. Um, critically bashed. It didn't make much money. And the fans specifically rejected it. But the fa- it was the fans who were dying to see what Zack was going to do with those characters were the most hurt because they realized that no, none of his footage was retained. Very little of his footage was retained. So around that time, they started to lobby for what became known as the Snyder Cut of Justice League because Zack had shot uh, a lot of it up to that point. He had a rough assemblage that was supposed to be about four hours long. And over the course of three years from that point, they just lobbied for the release of the Snyder Cut. And they used the, the hashtag release the Snyder Cut. And it just became like that became the, the, the pop culture, you yeah. know, shortcut phrase for give me a version of something that I want to see. <laughs> and so Release the Snyder Cut was persistent for about three years with Zach, with Zach supporting the movement, with Zach egging them on, you know, almost saying, uh, yeah, keep, keep uh, making noise, keep staying on the radars of the people who make the decisions, and eventually they had to relent. And so that's what the Snyder Cut is. It's a, a lost version of Justice League that um, fans thought they were going to get in 2017 and didn't, and then fought for three years to, to finally get their hands on or their eyeballs on. Right. Well, and I, I would say even for casual, non-hardcore DC fans, you could tell that something was up. Like, you know, you, you see the trailers and then you go to watch the movie and it's like, I mean, that's a very common thing, obviously, where there are elements in the trailer that don't make it into the movie. But there was, even for a casual viewer, you could tell that this was a cobbled together mishmash of a movie, uh, even to where you have jarring tonal shifts from scene to scene mm-hmm. and where folks that are maybe a little more than casual can say, oh, that's Zach, that's Josh, that's Josh. That's Joss. That, that's, that's Joss. Oh, okay. Oh, wait a minute. Now this movie's over. I mean, like one one thing that that I I will say, and I'm not. I don't have many compliments for the movie, but it does. It does try to accomplish what the studio mandate was. Is it comes in like at a cool two hours, as rushed and as abrupt as it is. It's like, oh, it's a two hour movie, which I I think was kind of what they were. Um, going for, I guess. Um, and like you alluded to, you know, kind of chasing that Marvel dragon. Um, you know, it's quippy, it's colorful, mm-hmm. it's, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's a mess. So for me, at least, like my, that's kind of where my curiosity with the, the whole Snyder Cut movement comes in is like, I know that this is a broken Frankenstein of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what, what else could there be? You know, we had rumors of the, you know, four hour cuts and, and things like that. And it gets, I'm getting too deep into the the mystery too soon, but what I, what I wanted to pivot to before we get even, even deeper into that is um, kind of at, at this point, could you tell us a little bit about you kind of tell us about yourself and then kind of where you entered the story? Mm hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I was, I was working for cinema blend during this entire time mm. and obviously for an entertainment website, one that's geared heavily toward um, geek culture, blockbusters uh, you know, we, we go heavy. Whereas like an indie wire is a little bit more film festivals and um, art house type stuff. Cinema blend is without a doubt focused more on the mainstream and, and genre stuff like that. And 
so we were covering Snyder's journey all the way through. We were covering the the um, construction of the DC universe, whether it was uh, David Ayer coming on board to do a, a Suicide Squad film or Patty Jenkins being hired to direct a Wonder Woman movie. Like it was interesting to track the progress of the DC universe being built. And of course, we were covering everything that Marvel was doing on their side too, and and being pretty blown away by the success that they were having in building their own cinematic universe, which is again really difficult to do. Um, I mean, you sure. can't stress enough that what they were able to pull off, I think that they were extremely lucky that it didn't fall apart over the course of 20 some odd films. Because if you deliver, now some, you know, some will poke fun at Marvel and say that they just blueprint the same type of film over and over again. But if one of them goes wrong or two in a row, you know, you lose consumer confidence and you derail the story that you're trying to tell. And telling an interconnected story across multiple franchises is really, really difficult. There's a reason why multiple studios don't try this. It's just, it's hard to do. Well, um, and, and, and sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they, they do try. And, and, it's, and it's, uh, we've seen a number of failures, just like look at our friends over at Universal. They really wanted that dark universe to happen. And, sure. and I, think that's, I think that's what became so, so buzzy, kind of probably around you know, 2010 to 2015, where it's like, well, we want our cinematic universe. Even you know, Disney kind of starts chasing that themselves with, with what they were trying to do with Star Wars. You know, oh, it's yeah. like, I mean, so it's like, so we, we've seen over the last, I would say five to six years where everybody's kind of trying to copy that blueprint and very few are very successful because I mean, I think luck plays a lot into it. And mm -hmm. I think, and luck is one of those things where just opportunity and timing just happen to meet up. And, and I think the, the success of the Marvel movies is that it just happened to happen at just the right time, you know, at a time where the audience was hungry for it. Um, Cause I think even if they tried to duplicate it now, it wouldn't work. It, it would have been something that, you know, just kind of had to quietly build and grow. And oh, by the way, this is this is a big old universe, as opposed to having dark universe scroll across the uh, the title card. I, yeah. I digress. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not good to pre-announce your existing universe before you've es actually established that people care about it. So, mm -hmm. uh, but all of that works in terms of um, casting and uh, actors agreeing to sign up for multiple projects and yeah. commit to 10 years for a role. There's all these things that have to break in your favor in order to get a cinematic universe to essentially work. Um, personally, I was lucky in the fact that I grew up reading comics. I mean, I grew up, um, I'm, I, I loved Marvel comics specifically. I read a ton of DC comics. I knew those characters. Um, I know that world. I know both of those worlds really, really well. And so to see them come to life on the big screen and to be a film journalist at the time, it was a perfect marriage of my interests um, over the course of my entire life. I, I, I have two teenage boys. Um, my wife is extremely supportive. Like they, they long ago stopped looking at it like, this is really weird that you get to write, talk about yeah. movies and superheroes because it really just, I happened to be a comic book lover and a film fan during the golden age of superhero movies. And that's also luck. That was also just yeah. luck. Yeah. Um, so that's how I sort of got into it. I was covering every, every beat of this story regardless because it was my job, but there were so many factors tied to what happened to justice league that even just as a journalist would fascinate you, you know, like 
Snyder stepping away from, so first off, a Justice League movie isn't just any movie. You know, I've kind of made this uh, comparison at other points too, that no matter what movie DC and Warner Brothers were working on when they decided to make the transition was going to get messed up. It, It could have been a Shazam movie, you know, or it could have been the Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever they decided to pivot away from the Snyderverse into something different, something that's now producing the likes of Shazam and Wonder Woman 1984, and even Aquaman, where James Wan went with full-blown uh, Lovecraftian sort of, you know, underwater sci-fi, yeah. which was great, worked really well for that world. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever movie that was going to be under the knife at the time of that change was going to get destroyed, and it just so happened that it was the first Justice League movie, which should be treated with some form of, you know, reverence. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting these characters together for the very first time. A studio that, that cares should, should not say, well, we'll just roll out whatever version of, of Justice League, you know, that, that the, and the fans will just lap it up because they're going to take everything that you can get, which explains why you get this completely butchered Superman face, you know? Yeah. And, these tonal shifts that you discuss in like, there's no way that, uh, that anyone who legitimately cares can watch the theatrical cut of justice league and say, Oh yeah, this is okay. You know, put this out into theaters and, and, and consumers should be able to accept this and not, not any movie, but, but a justice league movie like that yeah. breaks my heart for DC fans. So to see a director leave a project like that is fascinating. One to see that director get replaced by the main guy at the time um, of their rival, like they were like, okay, Snyder's leaving. And all of us at Cinema Blend were like, wow, that's a huge story. And then they were like, he's getting replaced by Joss Whedon. And we were like, that's a massive story. And, and then for it to go so horribly wrong, you know, it's just, that's a, that's the best kind of story for a journalist. Like you can't, you, you immediately have a million questions and, and finding the answers to those questions pushes you further down the path. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess the thing that I, as a fan and as a viewer, the thing that, that I've not been able to understand even now of all of the mystery surrounding uh, the production of Justice League is why Warner Brothers just couldn't have waited. Mm, like, right. Because, I mean, uh, understandable that Zach had to step away, but I, I think... Uh, I don't want to use the word convenient because that might be crass, but it, it felt like the studio was looking for a reason to yes. make a change. No, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. And and you can even say that they capitalized on his tragedy. I don't think that that's a reach. Um, yeah. I, I think that the people who were making decisions at the time who are not there anymore, uh, mind you, most of the people who were making the decisions at Warner brothers are not leading the charge. And one thing that, that really, um, stood out to me from DC fandom yesterday is that Jim Lee is now at the, at the, he's the captain of the ship. And yeah. it, that should have happened a long time ago because yeah. he, he is truly taking uh, care with all of the franchises that are happening. So I don't think that you're wrong um, because th- there's an answer to, to your question of why didn't they wait? Uh, and it's not, there's not hard and fast proof Sure. of this because the people who can confirm it would never confirm it. But what happened at that time is that Warner Brothers was getting purchased by AT&T. Uh, the, a larger entity, a much larger entity was coming on board. Mm. And the people who stood to receive financial bonuses from the merger needed Justice League to come out in time. Like if Justice League got pushed back to the following year, 
they there was no guarantee that they were still going to be uh, on staff after oh. the merger. And they wouldn't have received the financial bonuses that they were going to get. This has all been reported by the rap. This is this has been yeah. covered pretty well. But it looks like they held on to the release date to put out a Justice League movie in whatever form it was going to be in because they wanted to get those financial bonuses that would come from the merger mm-hmm. and not risk the fact that they wouldn't be on staff. So it was largely financial. And and when you got to remember back then, not like it was an eternity ago, but we were in a dangerous point. The industry was in a dangerous point in 2017 where studios were circling release dates three and four years out, whether they had a movie in place or not, which mm-hmm. was, and, and DC and Warner Brothers in particular was, was frequently guilty of this. There was one time where the, the head of Warner Brothers came out and announced a 10 film slate for DC that was going to carry them all the way through like 2022 or 2023. And it included a cyborg film and a Green Lantern Corps film. And when Zack's Justice League was announced at the time, it was announced as Justice League part one and part two. Mm. And it was like, there was such a race to, to announce your slate that you, we laughed often. We were always like, what are you talking about, 2023? You don't even, you guys can't deliver one movie in time. Yeah. Um, so, but, but what we've learned, what I, what I think we've learned, um, you know, other movies shifted their release dates for, for different reasons all the time. Sure. And nowadays, in the time of COVID and, and theater shutting down, like release dates are, are written in pencil. Now, every release date's written in pencil. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why Warner Brothers couldn't have said, in the wake of Zach's family tragedy, hey, we're going to push this back. You know, we're going to go to next summer. It's, it was supposed to be November 2017. Hey, we're going to go to June 2018. And we're going to give him time to grieve, but we'll let him finish. And if they believed in him and if they believed in, in his vision, then that's what I think that, that would have happened. But instead, he said, I got to take a break. And they said, cool, we'll just replace you. Because like you said, all indications suggest that they wanted to switch directions and go yeah. and go lighter uh, funnier, more fan friendly, and it it didn't work, and they fell on their face. Yeah, I mean, it it reeks of studio interference, course correction, and you know, I mean, it, and and this is kind of tangentially part of the story of the the Snyder Cut and the DC EU is like, you know, look what happened with Suicide Squad. Yeah. You know, I mean that that was a movie that was heavily interfered with as well, and that ended up being a mess also. And it was, I, and I think there, there was an unfair amount of burden put onto Suicide Squad. It was just supposed to be a fun one-off movie with no expectations. We're just having fun to where like, this is our course correction movie. This is where we're going. And, and it's unfortunate because it, it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the hardcore fans, and it, it leaves what I would imagine the casual fans to just be confused, not, uh, not unlike Justice League. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think one of the crimes of Warner Brothers at that time was they were being very reactionary. Yes, yes. They didn't have someone, and, and I give Kevin Feige so much credit for what he was able to do at Marvel. Kevin Feige is the Marvel president. Mm-hmm. Um, he is essentially the architect of the MCU, and he had a vision, and Disney, for the most part, let him carry it out. Now, it helped that it was working. Um, if it wasn't working, maybe they wouldn't have let him carry it out. <laughs> but he knew what he was doing, and they didn't second-guess him after every single movie that came out. Whereas over at Warner Brothers, they Zach was supposed to be the architect of that, of that universe. And, sure. his, and the Suicide Squad was stemming from that, and it would have led to Wonder Woman films and a, and a Flash movie and all this other stuff. 
but he was being second guessed at every turn and they didn't have the confidence. They were instead reacting to all of the uh, bellwethers out there, whether it be mm-hmm. box office or critical response or just what the fans are saying. And, um, and so they tried to pivot and it's really hard to pivot. It's like the analogy is of course, trying to make a sharp left turn with a cruise ship. You know, these yes. blockbuster franchises are, they're just too big for you to move from movie to movie. You can't, you have to invest in a vision and they did. And then they got scared. So that, I, I think that's an apt description. And you know, there, there's a reason why the Titanic ran into that iceberg. They saw it. They yeah. just couldn't turn fast enough. And yes. and and I think that's I, I, I think that's a apt analogy here. Now, um I, I don't want to get too far afield into, you know, my own wacky theories and, and you know, kind of kind of getting deep in the minutiae because I I don't want to lose sight of what's really driving this uh this movement, and that's the fans. And it's really something that's that's for good or ill, as as we'll uh, try to unpack here. This is something truly unprecedented mm-hmm. in uh, terms of not just fan movements, fandom movements, but also of resolutions. I can't think of the the only other example I can think of off the top of my head would be like back in the late 60s and the uh, letter writing campaign to get another season of Star Trek. Or right. maybe, or maybe even later to get a eventual Star Trek movie that took like ten years from the uh, almost ten years from the uh, from the cancellation of the television show. That's that's the only example that I can think of that's that's in any way analogous to the Snyder Cut movement. But I, I thought you know since it's it's the titular title of your book, um, <laughs> I, I thought we would talk about um, you know the the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement and and um, you're part of it. Sure. Um, so as someone who covered the movie industry, they were just impossible to ignore. Uh, and, and what sets them apart from other groups, because you do see other examples of flare-ups from passionate fan groups that aren't nearly as big, um, who aren't organized. They, they may zero in on a goal. And right now, one of the current ones is releasing the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. But you've seen everything from, you know, change.org petitions that are filed to change the name of a, of a roller coaster at Disneyland, yeah. you know, because they want it reskinned in some different direction, uh, to these Star Trek or Star Wars ones. Now, Star Trek and Star Wars are like the only other two fan bases that I think Doctor Who is also sort of coming on as well, too, um, that have enough numbers that if they wanted to push a narrative forward, they would potentially have the, the, the ways and means to do it. Um, the thing about the Snyder Cut movement, the, uh, that family, and, I, and if you ask them now, I'm not even quite sure that they would be able to explain how or why this happened, but they maintained their momentum in, in ways that other groups that have tried to launch these things have just fallen apart because it's super hard to keep a fan base like that organized when social media is really your only method of doing it. These are people who were um, spread out across the country and across the world, and they had a few key leaders in the early days who truly just took it upon themselves to keep the fan base organized and on task, um, and that meant... Um, the le- a letter writing campaign that they did to Warner Brothers uh, to keep asking them to release the Snyder Cut. It came uh, 
I think one of the first ones that they did was around the time of the DVD release uh, for the theatrical cut. Mm. And they all kind of decided, hey, instead of uh, buying a DVD of this terrible movie, why don't we take the money that we would have uh, used to purchase the DVD and instead make a donation. And so in the earliest days of the Snyder Cut movement, they decided to link themselves to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Yeah. Zach obviously left the project because his daughter uh, died by suicide. And so they wanted to make a, a charitable component to everything that they did. And, and all of the stuff that they did in terms of marketing and awareness, raising awareness for the Snyder Cut of the Justice League film was also going to raise awareness for the AFSP. And that, to me also, uh, so first, it gave them something to bond over. Um, it opened the door for people who might have been casual Zack Snyder supporters or casual DC fans to also say like, oh, suicide has touched my life. Um, mental health has touched my life. This is something I would like to give my time, uh, resources, money to. Once it had a charitable, charitable aspect, it took the movement to another level. So that first movement, they took the money that they were going to instead, instead of buying DVDs, they donated money to the AFSP. And it allowed them to uh, raise a certain amount of money and, and make a donation as well to it. And that was the hook. I think that's what brought everybody in because then it moved on to AFSP walks in California. Um, it, they started to introduce merchandise that helped to brand themselves as release the Snyder Cut. And some of that merchandise was um, sold through a website called Ink to the People, which uh, Zach supports. And they make t-shirts um, when you have a fundraising uh, goal to meet and essentially they're able to take half the proceeds that you raise from the t-shirt and donate it to AFSP. Um, and, and every single time that they were trying to come up with an idea, yes, it's really hard as a fan base to sort of motivate everybody, but they would get Zach's support. Like that was the big difference. And I say this in the book, this is a pretty important uh, point that I bring across in the book that at any given point over the course of this three year push to get the movement uh, to, get, to get the movie released by the movement zach had all the power in the world to sort of step in and because he's very interactive with his fans he uses a website uh, a social media tool called vero which isn't extremely popular but zach is on it and he interacts with his fans via it he had the ability to come on and just say like guys i love what you're trying to do but stop you know like look there's not there isn't another snyder cut it's not going to get released um i've moved on you guys should move on. I'm going yeah. to make another movie. And he didn't. He did the exact opposite of that. Instead, he encouraged them and, and, and kind of egged them on because <laughs> I think truthfully, you know, he had a cut of the movie that he believed in. Warner Brothers decided to go in a different direction, but he didn't. He was not ready to move on and he wanted people to see it. Mm -hmm. And here was this fan base, small at first, um, but, you know, but vocal uh, and passionate. Right. And they had, um, Zach had their back from the earliest days. And as it grew and grew and grew, as it grew, he was able to step back a little bit and say, okay, you guys keep going. <laughs> but then they got to the point where they were um, renting an airplane to fly a banner over Burbank, you know, to Warner Brothers lot in Burbank. They were um, purchasing advertisements, billboard advertisements and bus st stop uh, wraps in San Diego during Comic-Con. They rented a, a billboard in Times Square, which is like during <laughs> during New York Comic Con, they rented a, a release the Snyder Cut billboard in Times yeah. Square. Like these guys were just relentless and mm -hmm. organized. And every time that they needed money, they would launch a GoFundMe campaign or some type of um, fundraiser online. And the fans who believed in it would chip in because half would go to pay for the, the marketing pitch and half would go to AFSP. And 
as of July of this year, July of 2020, the donations to AFSP from the uh, Snyder Cut family crossed $200,000. Wow. So Zach has said, and he says this in the book, he goes, this movement, uh, forget the movie, this movement has saved lives. Like the money that they have raised has gone to uh, suicide prevention education. It's paid for counselors to work um, phone banks so that when someone needs help, they've called and they get someone to, to listen to them. Like they've made a difference in other people's lives on a much larger scale than just, oh, look at these entitled superhero fans who want their cut of Justice League. It's not, it, it's that, but it's so much bigger than that. And people who dismiss the Snyder Cut movement, uh, I don't think they don't, they don't know that side of the story. And that was the side of the story that when it connected with me, that I was like, man, I, I want to tell this. I got to tell this story. I got it. That that's you. You more or less addressed what my next question was going to be because uh, during the DC Fandom event, he Zach had on a couple of the uh, I, I guess I would say larger personalities and folks in the movement, and mm-hmm. he asked them a, a a very pertinent question in that: What is it about the release of the Snyder Cut? movement that was attractive to you. And I I think we've addressed that a bit already, but it it sounds like to me, I I picked up very early that your interest in this movement goes beyond journalistic curiosity. Uh, It does now. At the the time, the the foot in the door for me was absolutely the journalistic curiosity. Sure. Um, but, and this is something that I've said about other journalists, friends of mine, colleagues who, who drive by dismiss this movement as uh, they're kooks, they're wax, they're a cult. I've heard them called a cult <laughs> sure. uh, who lobby on behalf of Snyder. But none of them have actually taken the time to talk to the members of the movement. And, and so here's where I want to flip this. Um, uh, I can give all credit to my wife, Michelle. Okay. Who early on in the process when I said to her, hey, I think I'm going to write a book because there's a really interesting story that's going on. And Michelle has been, we've been married for over 20 years. She's been with me this entire uh, movie journalism uh, career. She uh, pays close enough attention to it to be able to, you know, hold down conversation with me, but it's not her thing. It's not, and comic books for sure aren't her thing necessarily. So when I explained the story of the Snyder Cut, like, hey, there was a guy who was directing the Justice League movie. He had to leave. Uh, there was a tragedy. He got replaced. The movie stunk. Uh, and these fans have now been rallying to get his version out there. She was like, you know, she goes, I know why you think that's interesting. And it is. Um, she goes, but I don't necessarily care if his version of the movie comes out. She goes, but, but she goes, answer me this. Why are all these fans doing this? You know, wh- how come they are giving all their time and effort to it? And I said, uh, you know, I really don't, I don't know. I have no idea why they are doing it. So as I started the process of asking Snyder Cut people um, if they wanted to talk to me about their work in the movement, um, one of the main questions that I let off with was just, why are you doing this individually? And they told me emotional stories about how Man of Steel or BVS um, came around at a time when they needed it most, you know, um, and they have this rich passion and adoration for the DC characters, for Superman, for Batman, um, to see them realized this way was so important to them. I've heard stories about, um, international fans, uh, who have had experience being, um, an alien essentially, maybe coming to the U S 
feeling a little bit isolated. They connected with that element of mm-hmm. um, Clark Kent's story. Like they just made parallels and connections that I saw but didn't feel. Yeah, um, and they resonated with me. And I mean, I've I've even heard tremendous stories that that people literally claim that the connections that they made to other fans and and total strangers who share a common bond in the Snyder Cut movement. And they claim that these relationships and these, these friendships that they have formed have saved their lives. You know, wow. that they were in, at their lowest point, but the people in the Snyder Cut movement helped bring them back up. And they are. They're so supportive of each other. They have each other's back at all times. It's, it's like um, you're in a sustained battle for three years. Sure. And this is your, your colleague in the trenches, you know, the, the person to the right and the left of you who you're going to go into battle with every single day. And they formed this tight, bond that uh that that blew me away honestly there's no other way to describe it it just completely i didn't expect to get that out of this story and Mm -hmm. the more that i heard their individual reasons for wanting to be part of it the more it just pulled me deeper and deeper into it that's awesome and and that's the power of fandom and and Mm -hmm. you know uh, those of us in in fandom communities fan communities uh you know we often talk about it in terms of family and community and togetherness so that that aspect doesn't surprise me that that's awesome i love that folks can find each other and that they can use their their time and efforts and platforms to put some good out into the world um i i think the things that the movement have accomplished have are incredible and it's uh um again it's an endlessly fascinating story but what i've also discovered with fandom is that there's another side as well oh very true. And, and, you know, we've seen this in, in other fandoms, like, you know, uh, the, the folks that you mentioned, the change.org, uh, um, various uh, petitions. You know, there's, there's the endless, uh, endless effort to get Star Wars The Last Jedi remade or to redo that last season of Game of Thrones or, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, pick your uh, disaffected, dissatisfied fandom. But what, what I think casual folks may have found in aspects is with the release the Snyder Cut movement while they're they see positivity they also see a lot of what I've been corrected in saying uh, uh, passion I've I think that the the vocal minority in that fandom can be aggressive mm-hmm. and I wonder sometimes if perhaps some of that aggression kind of comes from Zach himself at times, yeah, just in terms of uh, some of his, you know, more inflammatory rhetoric. And I, I don't know if he's just being provocative for the sake of it, especially now that, you know, the, the Snyder cut has, you know, been greenlit and HBO Warners is, is throwing money at it. And it's something that's going to be uh, uh, fully produced. Maybe he, he feels more empowered to, you know, kind of answer things like, oh, well, that's dumb. Or, you know, just like, you know, some of those more pointed fan questions on, on Vero that, mm-hmm. uh, that you had just mentioned, but um, that he, um, I mean, this is this has become a viral tweet, but this was yesterday, um, prior to the uh, fandom event. You know, uh, somebody had uh, seen the uh, 
trailer for the leaked trailer that you know some folks avoided i in in the interest of uh, journalistic disclosure i did not avoid it i didn't know what it was until after i had already clicked on it mm-hmm. because i mean there there's been like fan edits and fan art and i'm just like well well this can't be legit and i was like oh there's enough unique footage in here to where i'm pretty sure that this is this is legit. So I, I ended up spoiling it for myself, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm telling a, a short story long. Uh, basically, you know, the, the initial tweet was that the trailer of the Snyder Cut of Justice League looks like the same movie, you know, lots mm. of deleted scenes and, uh, you know, alternate takes of um, existing scenes to which Zack Snyder tweets, you said you enjoyed the theatrical cut of Justice League like you enjoy your Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. Well, this is made for grown-ups, so you're not in the demographic. Um, and also, uh, you know, kind of calls the guy out for, uh, for uh, watching a leaked trailer. And that, I think that's some of the vibe, for lack of a better term, that I think that either say like uh, fans in other fandoms or perhaps even casuals, that kind of find a little off-putting, mm-hmm. you know, the, the um, Snyder fans, again, while, while they are incredibly passionate, mm-hmm. I think sometimes that passion uh, can turn into aggression. What, uh, what say you, Sean O'Connell? I mean, it's hard to, to, to say that there isn't, you know, a vocal bit of uh, people in the Snyder cut fandom that, that do enjoy to uh, take the attack, you know, yeah. And I would, it's hard because I try to keep a, a level balanced journalistic approach to this. Sure. And I can report on all the good that the Snyder Cut um, movement has done, but the journalist in me knows that it's impossible not to also report on whenever I see someone in the movement going off on a tangent on social media and trying to start a flame war with people. And yeah. It's it's frustrating that there's factions in the Snyder Cut movement themselves who argue and fight with each other about who did what and who, you know, who deserves credit for. They're not even able 100% to enjoy the fact that they won and they're getting what they're getting. Uh, and yeah. again, this isn't, this is to me a, a minority uh, who do this, but they still, you know, fan is a, the short word for fanatic. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who, to paraphrase, you know, the great Michael Caine, there are people on social media who just want to see the world burn, you know, sure. <laughs> that they're in it just to mix it up and, and, and stir the pot. Now, do I always want to see people take the high road? I would prefer it because it's really hard to counter um, positivity. You know, if someone's returning positivity constantly. Um, and so when I see Zach do something like that, while I don't know Zach Personally, I've had a chance to talk to him a couple of times. Okay. And, and I, I think that a lot of that is rooted in, so, so when you see people taking shots at him and he finally takes a shot back, I, I try to remind people that this is a guy who has seen every step of his way through the DCEU criticized by um, however, however many people who don't agree with his approach to the characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't like his take on Superman. You know, they want, they, they want the more optimistic Donner, you know, golden age Superman and they rejected his vision for Superman from the first place. Then BVS, you know, before BVS is even out, people are destroying it. Superman doesn't smile. Uh, Batman doesn't kill people. Like, so 
we're talking years of this guy putting his heart and soul into it. Now, again, I'm not trying to defend anything that he's doing, but I'm saying that I'm trying to understand where he's coming from in terms of the, the pushback. Yeah. He's building this world, you know, and on one side, he's got all these fans saying, you know, we really love what you're doing and he's going to have criticism. And there's always, listen, if you're an artist and you're putting anything out there, there's always going to be criticism. Sure. But I, I have to say that no matter how thick skinned you are as anybody, after a while, it's just going to, it's going to wear you down. It's going to gnaw away at you and it's going to grind away at you. So let's use the Scott Mendelson example as a, as a perfect, you know, here's a guy who is um, working for Forbes is theoretically a professional, you know, yeah. who has made um, a career of, of just destroying Zach at every turn, you know, like yeah. he's, just, he's never going to vibe with him. Right. Right. Now you were even saying, you know, like you watched the leak and you, you didn't know what it was, but you watched it. And yeah, but I have to assume that you had the better sense as a professional to not comment on it. You know, right. If he wanted to comment on, on the trailer uh, and, and make that remark and it's, he's entitled to his opinion. If he wants to think it looks like the same movie, that's totally fine. But by jumping early, you know, and you have a track record of destroying Zach's work beforehand Mm -hmm. And you intentionally watch the leak so that you can be that, that, that desire to be first, you know, ah, is just, is point. a poison. It's a poison in this uh, community. Uh, that's not, it's not, it's journalism, but you're not breaking news. You're just want, you want your voice to get heard. And um, yeah. listen, it would, would Zach have been the better guy to ignore it and move on? Sure. But dude, you've read you read the comments, and there's yeah. a 99 comments saying this is great, <laughs> this is great, and there's a one guy who's like, you don't know what you're talking about, and yeah. that's the one person you want to reply to. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of, of it myself. Yeah. I watch YouTube videos of things that I post, and the the one or two negative things that are that are mentioned are the things I'm still thinking about two days later, where I'm like, I just want to write that guy back and tell him what, why he's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and as a, a creative, it's really hard to one accept praise. You know, it's, it's a hard one sometimes where it's like, Oh, Oh, you like my stuff. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's so much easier to take negative criticism, uh, more, uh, give, give more credence to it. And I think in this instance, with, with the tweet we were just going over, um, context is important as well. Mm-hmm. But, but I think, and, and that kind of speaks to, um, I, I don't know, just kind of like the, the general perception of Snyder and his movies, and by extension, his supporters. That, you know, it's, it's all just, you know, CrossFit dude bros that, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is for grownups and, you know, grow the fuck up and just kind of like a, a level of aggression that, again, for, for some, um, it, it, can, it can be off-putting. I don't know. I, all I can say is the people who I was lucky enough to speak to for the book, and I've said this before, I, I didn't come into the project with any preconceived notion about what I was going to find. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get to the heart of what was going on in the Snyder Cut movement and who these people were and why they were doing it. And if the picture that I got was CrossFit dude bros, <laughs> it's a pretty good way to describe it. Um, if that's what I got, like if it was just nothing but aggressive hostility yeah. and our way or the highway kind of thing, I would have wrote that. But I didn't get that at all. I got, right. I got an extremely tender and open-hearted and, and compassionate fan base 
who wanted to do as much for Zach as they wanted to do for AFSP. Mm -hmm. And listen, I cynically, I totally understand why people were like, you guys just use your charitable foundation as a shield against criticism. Um, Sure. You can say that if you want to, but, but the the people who I spoke to legitimately were in this fight um, for nothing, you know, for free. They're not getting, they weren't getting paid. They were using their time and their energy and their passion because they believed in either artistic integrity um, they just wanted Zach and the people who worked on his movie to get what what they believed they were entitled to, um, and they wanted to do some stuff for AFSP. And so that's the story that I told because I truly reflected back what I what I what I got. And um, and so I'm I, in a way selfishly I'm glad that that's what I found. But there's a version of my book that could have been written that's way more. Um, scandalous you know that's way more yeah. like let's get to the heart of who the snyder cut movement really is and and mudsling and everything mm-hmm. i just didn't i didn't see it i really didn't see it i i love that i i appreciate that there is um i i don't know it's interesting because like some of the criticism of snyder's dc movies is that they're kind of joyless what i've mm. what i'm i'm pleased to learn is that there's a, a tremendous amount of joy within the movement. And I mm-hmm. think, I think that's what I think is important for folks to want to check out the book and, and learn more about that. I, I, it's going to be an incredible story. The book is released the Snyder cut, the crazy true story behind the fight that saved Zack Snyder's justice league. That will be available from applause books on February 15th of 2021. Again, that, uh, that pre-order is available now on Amazon. Uh, we are talking to the author, uh, Sean O'Connell and, and congratulations on the, on the early, success of the uh of the pre-orders by the way it's it's just been uh it, it tells me that there there's something something resonant about this story and this fandom um no i i think it even transcends the fandom because i think even casuals are are being drawn to it it's a compelling story well but i i lucked out completely with the fact that zach was getting a chance to release it um and i mean i had a version of the book finished um and and almost ready to be turned in that had an open-ended ending that was very much just hey if this ever happens (laughs) these are the people who you could probably point back to and they're the ones who made it happen and uh i mean it's almost impossible literally that um the timing of this worked out the way that it did because i had a month to go before I was due to hit my deadline. And of course, in that final stretch, all you're doing is proofreading and yeah. you know, making tweaks as much as you can. And then May 20th, uh, 2020. So uh, the book was due the end of June. It was, okay. due Ju- it was due June 31st. And then May 20th, Zach makes the announcement. It's coming to HBO Max. And my publishers were like, okay, <laughs> we can give you another month. Um, go finish what you have to finish. <laughs> go get, yeah, whatever, yeah. get the interviews you need, rewrite your end. Now, thankfully, um, 90% of it was able to stay the same. Because it was mm-hmm. still like, let's tell the story of how we got here sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the beginning and the ending of the book then changed to reflect all of this. And so when I had an open-ended um, ending, when I didn't quite know how it was going to conclude, um, I had an idea that I'm really proud of that I said, I'm going to turn this over to the fan base. Yeah. Because okay. the, the movement wouldn't exist without the fandom. The book wouldn't exist without the fandom. So I put something up on the Twitter account that I've created for the book. And I said, hey, um, if y'all had a message that you would ever want Zack Snyder to hear, 
um, on the off chance that he ever picks up this book, um, email it to me and I'm going to include it in the book. I'm going to, you know, put your message to Zach uh, as, as the final chapter in the book. And I oh ended up getting nearly 200 replies um, from fans all around the globe. And it was exactly the response that I needed to get. And I was st still, even knowing how um, invested in Zach's work, his, his true fans really, really are. Mm -hmm. The messages that I got from people uh, from everywhere um, were just overwhelming to me. Like, I love movies and I've been covering movies my entire life and I don't think right. I love any director as much as Zach's fans love Zach, you know? Yeah. Um, he just has people who are super bought into it. And, and again, you're saying some of that aggression comes from it. Uh, there's a lot of inspiration that comes from his work uh, yeah. that, that people have dialed into. So I think, I think there's both sides of those coins. Um, but I, so I put all of their message in, messages mm -hmm. in and, um, and I truly hope that Zach does get a chance to read through it because even someone who has been creating films for their entire life, I think if he reads these messages, if he hears these messages that were sent from fans and really like what they were saying to me also when they sent him was like, I can't believe that I'm even getting an opportunity to, to potentially get a message yeah. to Zack Snyder. And I loved, I just loved that. Um, I loved that, that people had a platform, you know, just temporarily to get a message out to a filmmaker who they deeply admire. And so that, so all those things are still staying in, in the book. It's going to be the, the epilogue, essentially uh, messages sure. from the fans. That's that's awesome. I I really love that, and, and and again, that just that just makes it so much more exciting because I again, th this is something that came from the fans, and you know, without without the fan support, and I think I think the the big key that you mentioned earlier uh, was organization. You know, yeah. I mean that there's there's vocal minority fandoms, you know, all, raising all kinds of sand on social media, kind of changing perceptions to where it's like, oh, this is what the people want. The the Snyder movement, what they have that others don't is organization, and yep. and I I think that's a uh, very admirable. Um, but uh, one persistence, thing, persistence, persistence, yes, yeah. These other fan bases flame out after a little while, you know, like if they don't get immediate results, yeah. Um, then they're like, all right, I guess we're never going to see The Last Jedi reworked. There <laughs> I, guess, yeah. I guess Lucasfilm isn't going to let us see a new version of that. <laughs> but these guys for three years just simply yeah. believed in the fact that they one day were going to prevail. And, um, and they didn't give up. They didn't give up. But the thing I did want to ask you about that, though, is um, what kind of precedence does this set like mm -hmm. does it affect director's cuts does it affect quote-unquote final cuts mm -hmm. um or um conversely does it embolden fandoms even more like well well the uh the snyder bros got what they wanted well you know maybe we can do something else you know w without half of the inspiration and organization and uh and persistence but i'm just uh, i'm wondering if you if you have comments on kind of like the the landscape of fandom post success of release the snyder cut i think this is a once in a lifetime thing yeah. um honestly and i and you alluded to this at the very beginning of the conversation this has been one of the most you know mysterious uh revelations uh, that we've seen in our generation essentially yeah. there's too many other factors that have to come into something like this to make it happen first off there has to be a finished version or or such an alternate version that you know that there's something to even argue for 
And right. there are compromises on every single film, um, but I don't think that they're ever as drastic to the point where a director would honestly say, yes, that, that bit was taken from me. You know, mm-hmm. one example that I could potentially think of off the top of my head is Josh Trank and his Fantastic Four movie. Oh, sure. Um, where, you know, it got taken away from him halfway through and the studio recut and edit. Um, and, but they used his footage for the most part. They just changed, the, they took out a bunch of stuff in the beginning and there's some stuff that he could potentially put back. But, but so here's the thing. There has to be a, a true alternate version that fans would want to ask for. Um, the filmmaker would also have to somewhat back it. Um, so to use Josh Trank as an example, Josh mm-hmm. Trank doesn't want to go back to Fantastic Four. He wants nothing to do with that. So that shuts that movement down right then and there, mm-hmm. no matter how loud any Fantastic Four fans would ever get. And again, the Fantastic Four fan base isn't large enough. It's just not right. large enough. Right. So it would have to be a fan base that has a, an army of support that is going to be relentless. There would have to be an alternate cup for them to even fight for. They would have to have the support of the filmmaker. There's all of these decks that have to fall yeah. um, in order for, for some, like this was just a perfect storm of all of the factors happening at once. Um, and I don't think you could ever see it again. I think, you know, even something like the Game of Thrones finale, like the, the party line is often, hey man, there were a lot of compromises along the way, but what you got is what you're going to get, you know? Yeah, exactly. And there's the, the Mark Webb cut of Amazing Spider-Man 2 and all these other rumors about things that they, that they should have done. They just fizzle out. And, um, and this didn't fizzle out. So I don't think it sets any sort of precedent. And the people who are sort of beating the drum of, this is going to change it, it's not going to change anything. You know, 15, 20 years from now, we may see another situation where, let's say... Um, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is going to do Dune, you know? Ah, yeah. And let's say that his Dune gets so butchered by the studio. Sure. Okay. And, <laughs> and Denis says, that's not my cut, you know? And for five years, Denis gets all of his fans and, and every Dune fan to say, show us his vision. It has to be a filmmaker who who's truly has a vision for something, you know? And there's only a handful yeah. of ones that have that. Nolan... You know, Spielberg, people like that who, who you show up because it's you want to see what that director has done. Yeah. And I, I think that's rare. I do think that that's rare. I, I, I agree with you. And I, I think all, a lot of it, and, and I don't, uh, we, we didn't necessarily touch on this uh, uh, previously. I, I think what you would need for a similar situation like this is a mystique and a mystery. Yeah. So, like, like uh, you know, there was, there's the, this, cloud of doubt that kind of surrounded the Snyder cut to where like, you know, we, we talked a little bit about aggressive fandoms and, you know, being antagonistic. I think some of it came from a push and pull on both sides. Like this absolutely exists. Nah, man, that this does not exist. It's a pipe dream. It's not Mm -hmm. a thing that actually exists. And then, you know, um, Zach is kind of fanning the flames of like, does it exist? Of course it does, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, showing off, you know, cans of film um, on, on Vero. And and then that that was after two and a half years of debate. But by the time he finally showed that, Uh, but listen, also at the same time, a lot, you, you'll go see a bad movie. And you won't come out, you'll come out of it and you'll be like, that was awful. But you won't stop and ask yourself, like, why was that? Like, what went wrong there? You know? Yeah. But Justice League was so bad on a level that you had to stop and ask yourself, like, 
who let this happen? And and once you start to sort of pick away at it, it has a ton of exciting answers. <laughs> Absolutely, and and uh, that's I'm sure a lot of that mystery gets unpacked uh, more in the book, and folks will definitely want to check out the book. Sean, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, before uh, before we wrap up, would you mind a couple uh, listener questions that we got from the social medias? I would love it. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So uh, Kelvin uh, wrote to us on Twitter and asked, is the audio version with Ray Porter narrating become a, a reality? Uh, my fingers are crossed for that. So um, I've asked the publisher if an audio version uh, is in the cards. They said yes, but right now we're still in the copywriting and, and layout stage. There's, there's multiple steps to putting a book together that I never yeah, even realized. Sure, sure. Um, so an audio book, from what I understand, is something that comes later in the process. And all I'll say is that Ray Porter and I have been uh, DMing each other back and forth, and he is absolutely interested. And of course, it goes without saying that if he wants to do it, I would love for him to, to do it because he's the voice of Darkseid. So he'd be incredible to do it. Um, so yes, it's my hope to, to make it happen. It's a little bit out of my hands, but I'm already having the conversation with the publisher. Awesome. That, that's, that's incredibly exciting because, I, mean, <laughs> there, I mean, he's got that voice, man. And I, I, th- I think that would make a lot of people very, very happy. And that actually kind of addressed one of the questions I was going to have is, you know, even if it's not Ray Porter, is there going to be an audio version of the book? Um, oh, yeah, I would like it. Yeah, for sure. And um, um, how about a, a digital? Is there uh, any talks of a Kindle version? Yes, there are. All these are just essentially like steps along the way. Like yeah. I get a lot of questions from um, folks who are in international territories also that they're like, because now they're starting to go pre-sale. It was pre-sale in the States, obviously, first. Mm-hmm. Um, it, over this past weekend, it went pre-sale for the UK. Uh, they roll out slowly. I think I know Italy has been telling me, uh, fans from Italy have been saying that it's on the Amazon, but it's not available for pre-order yet. Uh, I hear a lot from India. Uh, in, there's people in India who really want to read it, and I know it's coming. Um, applause has told me that there are just there's um, international rights sales that have to take place, mm-hmm. but it's coming. It's, it's going to be a global release. We're going to get it out to as many people as possible. It just takes a little bit longer for these things to happen. And di- so I hope a digital release is part of that process. It just it's not available currently right now. Got it. And uh, and speaking of, you know, I mean, uh, currently the call to action is pre-order on Amazon. Yes, right now it is. Uh, and largely because you can also go to the publisher directly as well, too. Um, but what I've been told is people just sort of trust Amazon as a, a place to sort of get your books. But there's another, there's another one, too, that, that sports um, more independent books bookstores. Uh, I can't think of the name of it right now. And the title's not available on it. But I really want to push to make sure that it, I think it's bookshop.org okay. or bookshop.com. And that more benefits... Um, smaller independent uh, book retailers. So listen, my goal is to get it into everyone's hands through any means possible. Um, So I will literally hand deliver one to you (laughs) if you need it. Um, But what what I've been told is that Amazon is the safest way to do it right now. I got you. Very good. And how um how did you get involved with Applause Books? Because uh, I as as I understand that was it was a process uh, shopping the book around to find a home for it. Sure. Um, I this is my first time doing this and I had no clue how to go about it. So I basically just leaned on a couple of friends who are in the process of putting books out and got some really good advice from other friends 
who have been through the publishing process and they helped me put together a proposal and there was a tremendous book that I bought that used to be on the floor uh, by my <laughs> desk here now and I think it's downstairs. But it's largely a catalog of available literary agents and publishers. Oh, okay. And they, um, but throughout the course of it, they all describe specifically the type of books that they are looking for and, and whether they're accepting queries or not. Mm-hmm. So I went through and just um, sent pitches to anyone that was looking for nonfiction pop culture, um, targeted that specifically. And it took me from September until December. Uh, I was every couple of days, I would send out five or six um, proposals out of the proposal and a stock letter. And I would just go through and sort of earmark who was taking nonfiction, uh, nonfiction pop culture. And I would blast a few out. And I think in total, I should have these numbers. I probably sent about 80 uh, emails to, to 80 different people. I probably heard back from nine, give or take. Um, who expressed some form of interest and wanted to see like additional chapters or um, were just curious about where it was going. Everyone else was just a rejection. This isn't what I'm looking for. Um, the, the main comment I heard the most was, this sounds like a really great magazine cover story, but I don't know if there's enough here for the book, for a book necessarily. And maybe at the time before it was going to become a movie yeah. and maybe at the time before I'd even zeroed in on the human element of who the people in the movement really were going to be, it, maybe it didn't come across. I'll tell you something really funny too. Yeah. Um, I picked up, I, I have picked up a literary agent over the course of this whole process. Um, someone who got my pitch after I, uh, so applause was the one who essentially came back around in December and said to me, is this still available? Like we just haven't had a chance to look at it. We're really sorry, but we're super interested. And they've been so supportive from that point on it. So, um, I'm going with them, but I picked up a literary agent along the way and, and he's helping me shop a couple other, um, books for follow-ups. And he said, Hey, can you show me the proposal that you used to sell the Snyder cut book? And I said, yeah, sure. Of course. Here it is. <laughs> and he, uh, came back the next day and he said, you know, I really admire that you got it sold because your proposal is terrible. Like it's really not good. (laughs) And he goes, there's just, there's a structure that you're supposed to have, you know, and uh, you don't have it. And and he goes, "Um, it should have had, my proposal didn't have a sample chapter uh, in it because I didn't want to write anything if I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. But what I've learned now, and this could help any people, anyone who's an author who's trying to get something shipped, if you don't, if you put together a sample chapter, it also tells the people who are potentially going to back you, whether you are getting um, your, all your own quotes um, from your own sources. It tells them what your voice sounds like. It, it gives them all these examples uh, that I just didn't include because I had no sure. idea. So um, yeah, my literary agent's like, you're really lucky that you got a deal. <laughs> because, <laughs> but I guess, you know, the, the topic was intriguing enough and it helps to, you know, have cinema blend in, in your back. And, and um, yeah, so a, a couple of things broke in my favor. Awesome. Very cool. So, uh, my, my buddy writer kind of came in, uh, uh, with, uh, he said, he sent me like a whole text block. So we'll kind of, kind of take this kind of bit by bit. I'm ready. Um, um, you know, some of it fandom related, uh, some of it, uh, related to, uh, your perspective with the book. But first thing he asks, uh, any news if Ben Affleck is, has fully resigned to do more Batman or is this going to be his last stand? Same question about the Snyderverse. Will they continue it or will Justice League be the final wrap up with the rumor of 
the multiverse could we see other characters return from Snyder's movies? So a bit to unpack there. So I don't have any confirmation on anything, but I can only tell you what my beliefs are. Um, I don't think that HBO was, is bringing this back unless they would like to see it continue. Um, in a way that like they have a Westworld or Game of Thrones or something that they can invest in, which is, you know, pretty big world building a couple of episodes every few years. Um, you know, if Zach is able to sort of divide it up into four parts every few years, I could easily see him continuing his thing. The thing about the multiverse, which I find really fascinating, same thing with Ben. Um, you know, Ben kind of was ready to move on and now he's coming back and he's going to play, play Batman in The Flash. The multiverse allows DC to essentially do this one timeline, which is extended from the theatrical cut. And it was interesting to hear Walter Hamada, the head of DC films during DC fandom say, um, look, we have a timeline that has Ezra and Jason Momoa and Gal, um, and they are the members of the Justice League moving forward. We have a separate universe that is the Robert Pattinson, uh, Matt Reeves, Batman, which can be its own thing. And it doesn't have to affect what's going to happen in Aquaman 2. He stopped short of saying, but I believe this can happen. There can be a Snyderverse that just exists on HBO um, where Snyder's still able to play with the characters. Mm -hmm. He could do like a cyborg story could happen there. Ben's Batman could happen there if it wanted to continue. It wouldn't affect the DCU theatrical. Um, and it would allow Zach to continue telling the five-part arc that he wants to tell. Now, that's how it could happen. But there's a million things that could stop it from happening. Sure. Mind you, the Snyder Cut, whenever it airs on HBO Max, could be a disaster. I mean, it could bomb. There's that possibility that yeah. the fan, that, that, not the fans, the fans are probably going to enjoy it. They've been waiting for it. But if it doesn't resonate from a pop culture standpoint, you know, how many shows have we seen get one season and nobody wants to see him anymore. Yeah. Um, or the creatives involved could truly decide, look, I just wanted to deliver the Snyder Cut. I don't want to keep going with it. You know, uh, Watchmen just wrapped up. And Damon yeah. Lindelof was like, I'm not going to do a second season. You know, I put everything I had into that first season. I'm glad everybody loved it. But Regina King's a huge star. You know, maybe she doesn't want to sign on for a TV show. Maybe everybody that Zach needs to continue in the Snyderverse are too busy. Yeah. Gal Gadot is doing uh, Wonder Woman movies elsewhere, or Ben's going to be directing. He's got like three projects to direct yeah, coming yeah. up. It's, it's really hard to maintain these cinematic universes. Yeah. So while, while I think there's certainly potential for Zach to continue the quote-unquote Snyderverse uh, and keep it going for HBO Max, because HBO Max needs original programming in yeah. a big way. They got to keep subscribers coming on board. They've got to give you content to keep coming back for. Um, Snyder's DC there's a lot who don't like it but there's a ton of people who do and if he wants to be able to continue it that's a great place for him to do it I just don't know if he wants to and I don't know if he's going to be able to, get, to realistically make everything happen Right. And, and that kind of brings me up as a, a follow-up for, you know, kind of the, the format of Zack Snyder's Justice League. We know now that it will be told in four one-hour installments mm -hmm. but um, one of the things we talked about way at the beginning is that once upon a time, Justice League was branded or billed as Justice League, comma, part one. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I've heard criticism that even once this movie is completed, it's still part one 
of an orphaned continuity. Like there's, there's no part two to this part one. And I wonder if both the fandom and casuals are prepared for what could possibly be an unresolved cliffhanger. Well, people um, can't see this, but over my shoulder uh, are the posters for Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Okay. So let's, let's use them as an analogy. Uh, let's say that the Russos got kicked off of Infinity War uh, before they were able to finish it. And Marvel fans had to wait three years before Disney finally said, fine, we'll let you finish Infinity War. And then it ended and Thanos snapped and half the Marvel Universe faded away. Um, and we never got Endgame. You know, you'd yeah. be, they'd be furious. They'd be burning down everything to get it to happen, you know? I don't know what Zach's conclusion is, but if his conclusion is really strong, you know, his, the, everyone I interviewed for the book, I asked them that pointed question. I said, to, I said, look, are you prepared to get the Snyder Cut with a cliffhanger knowing that it's probably not going to lead to anything else? You know? Um, and they all said, yes. We just want to see what, see what he has. You know, we just want to see what it was going to be. Now, they're probably lying <laughs> because <laughs> it's really easy to say that now until you see it. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. I always thought if the Snyder Cut got into theaters, uh, it would be a lot harder to convince Warner Brothers to bankroll a theatrical sequel. Um, they need content yeah. and they have budget. You know, uh, HBO Max wanted to sink close to a billion dollars into original programming for its initial first few years yeah okay and if there's a if there's a pop that comes from the snyder cut and zach is willing i i could easily see hbo max saying keep going but again it's if he wants to did uh did you have any contact with folks at warner brothers did anybody reach out to you that no they were i was persona non grata <laughs> really <laughs> well i have really close friends at the studio um okay. and we we work together for things that are non-dc related we have to all year you know uh and i i can specifically tell you that you know i was out in los angeles for an it chapter two press event when i told my friends and my contacts at warner brothers that i'm going to work on a book it's amazing. And I said, yeah, it's about the Snyder Cut. And they were like, ooh, we can't help. <laughs> but all they really said was, we can't help you. You know, like, it's great. And it's a super compelling story, but um, we're not going to be able to help you with any of it. And I said, good, that's fine. I said, I don't really, I didn't expect you guys to. I know that you can't. Because to them, at the time when I started the project, um, the Snyder Cut was like so off limits. It was like, we can't even acknowledge that it might be a thing. And right. It's a really touchy subject for us because he, we put out a theatrical cut of Justice League. We have to kind of back that, you know, and the, there are people who are our bosses who made decisions to get this out here. But everything's changed since then. You know, like just yesterday, Snyder Cut was part of DC Fandom. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that should have been impossible, you know, three months ago. So mm -hmm. everything has changed. But over the course of the run up to it, Warner Brothers has not been able to help me. I'll tell you that that's changed um, and I'm getting even help from more HBO Max, although it's all the same, uh, yeah. um, but, but HBO Max, I mean, they need to promote this. They need to get the word out about the Snyder Cut. So, so they're way more open to a lot of these conversations. All right. So last question before I ask you um, about some of the other cool stuff you've got going on with uh, Cinema Blend um, and, and uh, other, other cool stuff that you've got going on. 
my last question is, have you seen any of it? <laughs> just the trailer. Just the trailer that we got to see. Um, no, because I think, honestly, right now, everything that Zach has been saying is that he's still working really hard at finishing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that critique about, you know, it wasn't really done is that, no, it wasn't done when he walked away from it. And right now, too, we've been in COVID, which has prevented anybody from doing a lot of work on stuff. So um, yeah. I think he's going to be working on it right up until it's ready to drop. But no, I haven't. Good question. But I have, <laughs> I have not. No. All right. Well, well again, uh, Sean O'Connell, uh, you've been uh, incredibly generous with your time. Before, uh, before we part ways for now, uh, could you talk about some of the, uh, uh, the cool stuff that you've got going on, including, like we just talked about it earlier, you've got an incredibly uh, intimate and fun uh, reaction video to, uh, to the, uh, the Snyder Cut trailer. I, I watched it right before I connected our Zoom meeting here. And, uh, the, and, and I think that's why I asked you some of those, those questions earlier, is like, this, this thing has in my observation, become more important to you other than a journalistic curiosity, you know, a thing you're doing for work. And then later as a uh, passion project for a book, this is, this is something that means something to you because I don't, uh, when you see something that doesn't mean that on that visceral level you, you don't have reactions like that so i no 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 it's, it has become such an important part of my life um which is again really funny because I, i'm way more of a marvel person than i ever was dc <laughs> and uh truthfully i think that that's been a benefit to be to telling this story is that i i don't have i didn't have the um uh, you know, your judgment can get a little bit clouded when you are uh, just a rabid fan of one thing or another. You can't step back and see uh, the the big picture. You know, you laser focus on on the one thing. So, but I, but I'd be lying if I said that over the course of writing this story that it hasn't meant the world to me. It's always going to be my first book. You know, like that's yeah. a huge milestone. If I, I who knows if I ever get a chance to write another one. So, you know, the so to see. To, to, to immerse myself for a year in this story and to to document the passion that these fans felt um, every day to fight to get it made that yeah when I watched the trailer and realized how many of their um, their dreams there's literally their dreams you know yeah. the, a, a dream project to them that they had to so think about it not only were they fighting on one front to get the studio to reverse course, um, and essentially admit that they were wrong. You know, a, a big studio had to make a say, we made a mistake. And here, we're going we're gonna to correct it by giving you the version that, that you wanted. They were fighting that fight. They were fighting a fight with other people in the, uh, in the blogosphere, you know, telling them that the thing that they were lobbying for doesn't even exist, or it can't come out, you know, or the studio will never back it still have to put however much money into it it doesn't even exist in the way that you like all these things that they fought on a daily basis yeah yesterday's panel and the trailer for that was this culmination of all of these battles that even it had more of an impact on may 20th which was the day that zach revealed that it was happening because prior to that you didn't know if it was ever ever going to really become a thing mm -hmm. so then he makes it a thing but now there's going to be these steps along the way where it becomes, it just feels more and more like a, or the reality. It's a reality. It's hard to accept 
um, because I also was with them and telling the story of like, I believe it's going to happen someday, but I, I just hope it's not like Rick, Dick Donner did his, his cut 20 exactly. something years later. So you start to think in the back of your mind, like, is it going to be 20 years? You know, is it really going to be that long? And there were people in, at Warner Brothers that the, that the Snyder Cup movement was like, well, they just have to, once we get them out of position, once they're out of power, then we have a pretty good chance. But then you have to have the, the person who comes in behind them has to be supportive of it. Yeah. The person who comes in behind them could also say, no, we're never going to release a Snyder Cup. What are you talking about? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so all these things fell in play. Like the people who were at Warner Brothers were supportive of it. And then HBO Max comes around. If HBO Max didn't come around, theaters are closed. And even when theaters open back up again, there's so much programming that's going to have to come out that if the Snyder Cut needed to be in theaters, it wouldn't happen now. It would never happen now. You know, they would never say, yeah, we're going to carve out some space in our theatrical window to get a, a four-hour movie. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, it wouldn't have. So HBO Max had to be there. And, and this is the part of the streaming wars. It's another whole element of this story that um, it wouldn't have happened if, if all these other things didn't come before it. So it's, it's remarkable. And, and so, yes, absolutely. The emotion of all of that uh, coming to a head in the trailer. And I just think it's a beautiful trailer. I mean, I know that he used that song in Watchmen. He loves that song for some yeah. reason. Um, to see all that footage uh, and, and to know the scenes that, that he chose uh, a lot of cyborg because poor um, Ray Fisher got left on the cutting room floor yeah. by Joss's decisions. Um, and then, you know, Ben's line at the end about never, uh, they've never faced us before, you know, not us united. Like that's been a rally cry for the movement. Yeah. And so it felt like Zach saying to the fans, um, we did it, you know, we did it. And I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing. Zach makes a fine trailer. <laughs> you know? He I really mean, does. I, I mean, say what you will about anything else about his artistic output. His trailers are consistently phenomenal. Yes. He's a showman. Honestly, <laughs> Zach's, he, sure. Zach is a showman. If you go back to even the whole H panel where he announced BVS. Yeah. And he had Harry Lennox. Harry Lennox, yeah. Passage from, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to get yeah. the fan base whooped up. That's awesome. Very, very cool. So, uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier that there will be incremental steps between mm -hmm. now and one, the release of the book, but then also the eventual uh, release of uh, the, um, I, I, I can't, I don't know what to call it. Do I call I it, Zach, do I call it Zack <laughs> Snyder's Justice League? Do I call it the Snyder Cut? What, what do I call it? But I, I, I will always call it the Snyder Cut. It's always going to be the Snyder Cut to me. So you're uh, you're doing a series on YouTube for Cinema Blend, kind of chronicling the steps between now and then. You want to talk about that before we get out of here? Sure. We're doing a weekly series um, where we're going to be discussing, and really just because the fan base has been there for it. Mm -hmm. um, it's something fun that I like talking about. It feels like we're learning something new and different every single week. Um, there's, yeah, well, there's never a lack of subject matter uh, when sure. it comes to the Snyder Cut because we can discuss the format now. Um, yeah. We can discuss what was shown at the trailer. We can, uh, so, so yeah, we're going to be doing a, a weekly YouTube series. It's myself, my producer, Hannah Solik. She appears on it every once in a while as well too. Um, she's another person who um, was very casual 
DC fan has sort of become immersed in the story is super on board with it for that reason. Um, in addition, we do a ton of stuff on, um, I, have a, I have a podcast as well too. It's called Real Blend and I host it with uh, two other really good friends of mine, Kevin McCarthy and Jake Hamilton. We do a lot of uh, movie news in general and we have some interviews with people uh, on there on a weekly basis as well too. But we cover a lot of Snyder Cut stuff on that as well too. Um, and really just it's, uh, it's I'm riding the wave of whatever is going to come with book promotion and I would love to do, everyone keeps asking me and I love it. I just, it's an amazing question to get asked like, how do I get a signed copy of the book? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to go out. I'd love to go to places and, and, and meet people and talk Snyder Cut with them and I hope that the world allows me to do that come February 15th, 2021, because <laughs> if we're in a normal spot next year, I, I'll go to, I want to go to, you know, um, Comic-Con conventions and, yeah. and, and host a panel and, and, and talk Snyder Cut with, with people because it's, listen, it's the never ending topic. And, uh, and the fan base has so much passion that I've, I've had some of the most rewarding and entertaining conversations um, with people like you and, and, and just you know, fans who, are, who want to talk Snyder Cut. So. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, Sean, again, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us. The book is Release the Snyder Cut, the crazy true story behind the fight to save Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, author Sean O'Connell has been our guest. Uh, the book is available for pre-order now on Amazon um, and it drops on February 15th of 2021 and Sean before uh, before we part ways could you let folks know where we can find you on the internet and how we can connect with you out on the social medias absolutely um, I am Sean underscore O'Connell uh, on Twitter uh, you can also find um, Sean underscore O'Connell 33 on Instagram. Uh, the Snyder Cut book has its own account on Instagram and Twitter as well, too. And it's RTSC book, uh, release the Snyder Cut book, RTSC book. But if you follow me on either of those, um, I'm sharing constantly from each of them. Um, and then Cinema Blend's YouTube page is where you can find all of our videos about uh, about Snyder Cut. So you go to Cinema Blend uh, YouTube channel and then Real Blend is the name of the podcast. It's R-E-E-L. Uh, B-L-E-N-D. So God, I feel like I'm, I'm oversaturating the market. <laughs> it's just too much me. It's a little too much me. <laughs> too um, much John, too much. Yeah, it's Snyder too, cut. it's I love just it. too much. Um, but, and, and one thing I just want to point out too, because it, it never uh, t- it ceases to amaze me that um, February 15th is my son's birthday, my first son. Oh. And so first book, uh, first son, uh, they're both good. We deliver. Uh, apparently, we love to deliver stuff in February. <laughs> uh, and I didn't pick the date, honestly. Um, it just, when the publisher told me, they're like, we're going to put the book out on February 15th. I was like, that's hilarious. That's hilarious how, how <laughs> life works out sometimes. So that's that's awesome well uh, again sean this has been an absolute pleasure uh we'll have to do this again like uh i don't know maybe in february when the book comes out or maybe when uh we have more information about when the when the show is gonna drop and um yeah i mean because this was a blast and as you said it it is a never ending topic there's there's always stuff to talk about with uh with regards to hashtag release the snyder cut Mike, I thank you so much for having me, man. This was a blast. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you. You're very welcome. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you again sometime in the future. Thank you. And like I've said before, regardless of how you feel about Zack Snyder 
or his movies, or his vision for the DC Extended Universe. The mystery of the Snyder Cut is one of the greatest cinematic curiosities of our generation. I hope you've enjoyed this exploration of the Release the Snyder Cut movement, and I'd love to hear your opinions on the Snyder Cut of Justice League as well. Listen up for my contact info at the end of the show. But that will wrap things up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Join me after hours live every Monday night on Facebook from 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. And if you want to listen to my past shows, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can check out the full show archive out on SoundCloud. Like, share, rate, and review the show. Let us know what you'd like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. Mike Seibert Radio is produced by Dave Sanders and is powered by Poddex. For my guest, Sean O'Connell, my name is Mike. This has been Mike Seibert Radio. And until next time, wear a mask, wash your hands, and make good choices. You've been listening to the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Mike Seibert Radio. Email us at MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out ByDoorMusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert Radio Production.